It's time for First Voices Radio with Tilkison Ghost Horse. Please stay tuned. What makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Greetings and good day and welcome my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart and it's a good day for all of us to be here. And this is First Voices Radio and I'm Pioca's in Ghost Tours. And this is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio. Our producer is Liz Hill and you can hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprouts, Spotify, as well as firstvoicesindigenousradio.org. Well, our first guest is Eda Savala Lopez, is dedicated to the Amazonian indigenous healing practices by leading ceremonies with medicinal plants, practicing ancient ways of healing knowledge and empowering her people, the Wari, and preserving their sacred territories. And as a Kuandera directly uses the power of medicinal plants to help heal people emotionally and spiritually, especially women. And as a spiritual leader in her village, she is deeply committed to indigenous Peruvian people in defending their sacred territories and protecting their lands. And more information about EDA can be found at E-D-A-Z-A-V-A-L-A-L-O-P-E-Z.com. EDA Zavala Lopez. And this conversation that we had, EDA Azatku and Dada, and the, the true essence and meaning in her life is honoring the wisdom of her ancestors and practicing the skills that nature, plant medicines, and indigenous elders pass on to her. We talk about the intellectual property and intellectual rights and how they are actually having to live those rather than going to the UN or any place else. It's the plants giving you legality, not some piece of paper or an office or a government. It's the plants giving you the authority. So with that, we're going to pick up this interview with Ada, talking about consciousness as we go, go there as the native people. Thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. Let's have a conversation about consciousness, the relationship you have with the plants, especially the medicinal plants that you work with or that work with you, actually. Native people have a continuing relationship with the earth and with the way the plants give us medicine. Is that that's not too far away. We're still there with it. And in our stories, in our consciousness, in our language, and 
It's not so much conceptual, but it's more how we feel where we are and gauge what's happening to the earth in a sense. What do you think about consciousness of the earth? Uh, first of all, thank you so much for this uh, incredible invitation, which is amazing. And I really honor you, really honor my you know, relatives up in the north and um, like original people, you know, that we all, you and I, we all carry this ancient wisdom, this uh, incredible, you know, almost subtle philosophy related to Mother Earth and the universe, you know, and um, so we, we are, I mean, we as an original people, we are far, far away from these current times in terms of what is the real meaning of being a human society, you know? Um, I think that uh, after all of these uh, hundreds of years where civilization, you know, tried so hard to uh, put us in this kind of uh, uh, Enclosed, you know, as a part of this uh, society, you know, the formal society. Uh, I think, I think, at the time when these people, these other people, coming from other continents, you know, where they practiced other type of philosophy, other type of relationship with the mother nature. Uh, they already pushed us to break down our incredible wisdom related to Mother Earth and the universe. They already pushed uh, us to uh, avoid the natural wisdom that we all, as, a, as an original people, we all carry. And actually, related to these current times, you know, dear relative, I I can see, you know, the deep, the deep concern that uh, millions of humans already have related to all, to those types of pandemic, to those types of uh, illnesses, but still, but still because they decided to divorce from Mother Nature and, you know, her wisdom, they don't get it. They don't get it, you know, the, 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 the claim that Mother Nature is telling us. And they don't get it because they already missed every single relationship with Mother Nature and the real wisdom of humanity. And if that happens right now, who knows about the future? Who knows about the existence of humans in general? Who knows about those types of civilizations that they already, you know, pushed us to embrace in the name of progress, in the name of uh, being success, in the name of money, you know, and power. So, 
So the real, the tricky part that we already, especially original people, indigenous people like us, we already have to say, stop, stop, stop to abuse the wisdom, stop to abuse the law, stop to abuse the great value of Mother Earth. Um, stop with all of this insane approach of being powerful. What is the point? What is the point? So how we pretend to be more powerful, more important than Mother Earth and the universe? Because they already created us. So why we pretend that we are superior? Superior of what? in the name of what you know and uh, so every time when i have this chance to speak out because i am indigenous because i come from this very ancient wisdom because i practice the real values of being honest speak my truth honoring my ancestry honoring mother nature protecting and fighting for Mother Nature, for Mother Earth, protecting and fighting for the resources and the rights of indigenous people in the Amazon jungle. So I see my relative that I, I have the authority to say that. Mm. I already have the authority to say that because I honor my ancestors, because I honor the wisdom of my elders, because I really care about, I really care about my people. Yes. Even if they are not original people, I care for them too. When they ca they come down to Peru, when they want to come down to Peru and be in the Amazon jungle because we are around carry this ancient wisdom related to medicinal plants, related to the sacred and master plants, we don't pretend that we carry this wisdom. We have already the wisdom. And they claim for help, to support, you know, to heal their soul. And we do. And we already do. Even that many of them trying to take advantage of our being humble and, and open and sensitive, and we already share the knowledge, we already share the wisdom, we already ask, and then what? And then what? You know, it's just, I don't accept that. I, 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 don't, I don't care if they feel that I am this kind of, uh, I'm, I mean, ugly Indian woman, or this kind of uh, egotistic India, Indian woman, or this kind of whatever they want to, to, to call me. I'm not. I'm just trying to remind them that the wisdom of Mother Earth is not related to any topic that means money. Wow, that is profound. You, you studied anthropology and, and sociology in Lima and yet your your life that you live is of a 
Curandera, is that right? The Curandera, yes. And, and I'm wondering, how how do you balance that? I mean, what you said before is how you are living now, but how is that to be balanced when a lot of non-natives come and they take a class or this class and all of a sudden they become a shaman and they don't understand that it's not just the title or the label, it's actually the experience of living that all your life as you have. And I'm wondering, what can we say to these walk-ons, people who um, are assuming that they have relationship with the earth, which is kind of true, but yet they, in their search, as you said, they come to Peru, they're looking for a connection, and yet the they maybe it's not it's the understanding of they don't have a relationship with the land i thought about europe they have the land is tired in europe because of all the abuse and the constant bordering and the fighting and wars whereas in western hemisphere it's still fairly new and i feel that you're speaking from that that wisdom that indigenous experience and i i think it's not a separation as we say it in this language of English because in, in, as we feel the relationship with each other that there is no separation. Yeah, you're right. There is no separation. But let me tell you something. And, and please don't take my words like I am so, I mean, arrogant because I'm not. I am so proud of being Indian. That is the truth. I'm so proud to be Indian, you know, wise, intelligent, beautiful, and powerful. And of course, I am so grateful to the opportunity, to the chance that my parents and my family gave me when I decided to go and to study the Western knowledge, because otherwise, we are not nothing, nothing, you know, because we need to pour to hold this title, you know. So I am so grateful to my teachers, to my masters, to my professors at the college. They are, and they were so great. They, they were so incredible, you know speaking all of this philosophy of the Western civilization, you know, sharing all of this incredible knowledge of Greece, you know, um, and Rome and et cetera, et cetera, and politics and politicians and philosophy of French, you know, people, English people, et cetera, et cetera. I just absorbed all of this information. Of course, it's, it's, it's a good tool, my dear. It's a good tool, it's a good instrument. It's a really good skill because thanks to this capability to process the information in terms of using this logical mind, I can speak other type of languages, like the English language, you know, because otherwise, my, my elders, which they are so wise, far, far away from myself, so wise, so powerful, so incredible, far away. But, but 
they cannot say and speak the truth in a way that the other side, I mean the Western side, can understand. Because they speak other language, the language of the wisdom, the language of the universe, the language of Mother Nature, the language of the trees, the birds, the snakes, the jaguars, the rivers, the rocks, and they are capable to speak with the spirits of Mother Nature. That is not a knowledge. That is not related to any single logical approach. It comes naturally. It runs through our DNA that comes from the universe and our ancestors. Every time when we see you and I, and, and we all, original people, native people, indigenous people, sit with them, we are already connected to that type of wisdom, a singular one. And I mean, Westerners, we try, and they use the name of shamans, which is okay for me, because I am not a shaman, I am a curandera. You know, you are a medicine man. You know, we use other type of language, not only the words, not only in your language or my language, in your dialect or my dialect. Dialect. We use this universal language that only original people understand because we already learn to speak this other kind of language. And that language is not a tool, it's not a skill, it is a gift, it is a gift. Edda, there's a thought that I have as you were speaking, when I'm speaking this language, English, that I'm always at war against the earth. And I think that's what people are, are not seeing, that we speak a language against the earth, mining, extraction, oil, we always want something from the earth that we never give back anything. That's why I say we are at war against the earth. And when you speak about the languages, those languages that we speak are not at war against the earth. They're acknowledging the abundance and the respect and the giving and generosity and appreciation in our DNA. And I think somehow that has to be sooner or later. That's where we're going to go anyway to where the indigenous peoples are, not as uh, going back in history, but going forward to the future that we need to now ultimately respect the earth. What do you think about that? Remember, my relative, I live in the Amazon jungle. I already see the suffering of Mother Earth. I already see the exploitation of my indigenous relatives. I already see the ignorance and the indifference of the national government in Peru. So I really want to believe you, and I do. I do, I pray every single morning, every single during the day, you know, calling to the spirits of Mother Nature, talking to the, to the birds and say, please, talking to the trees, please guide me. Hold my soul, hold my spirit, hold my capacity to understand 
humanity. And you know, my dear, I I think the tricky part, the difficult part that I really trying to understand from others is just why humans try try so hard, hardly to extract any single resource of Mother Nature, including knowledge, including indigenous knowledge. I just want that. It's a, it's a type of exploitation. It's a, a type of extract the resource, extract the source of this with gift of Mother Nature. I want your knowledge. I want your wisdom. I want you to tell me how do you do in order to connect with the spirits. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Oh my goodness, it's just pure ego. Pure ego. It's just, and even worse, my dear, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm, I am already 59 years old, so almost 60 next year. So I have, like I said before, my dear, I have the authority to say, why are you trying to subtract and extract my knowledge? To do what? To make money? To be powerful? To pretend that you are a new type of shaman, a new type of wise people? Oh, please, you know, don't be sarcastic. Don't be awful. Because what is the point? You have to relearn. I talked to them before and today and tomorrow in the same way. Relearn how to honor Mother Earth, the relationship with all the relatives that, like the trees, the rivers, the gold, the jaguars, the elephants, and the people who already live there. If you don't understand that part of the relationship with Mother Nature, what is the point? Not because I am so proud of my knowledge, not because I see you as an inferior person. No, I'm not. But what is the point that you want to possess, to possess, dear relative, to possess my knowledge, my power, if you are not capable to honor and understand the language of Mother Nature? So on the last question here, Heda, thank you, that's very powerful, is... Does earth lie? When I think about languages, and yet we are talking right now a language of deception. Yes. It's always against itself. But when, and I'm saying indigenous languages are coming from a place of the earth and living with the earth, and yet yes. earth is always true and truth. Yes. So we learn our languages yes. from the earth. And that's why... Yes. The earth doesn't lie, and where we, what language are we speaking otherwise? Never. She never lies to us. Never, forever. She's so wise. She's so kind. So recipro reciprocal. Hmm. So generous. She never lied to us, and she never will. The point is our position, our hostile as a humanity. That is the problem, my dear. Not her. The problem is us. This is good. Ada Zavala Lopez, and um, I think it's just an honor to have you, that energy from a place that 
people only read about, they go and experiment with the Amazon, but it's different than when you live in the Amazon. It's not an experiment, it's an experience. You're living with yes, her yes. there. It's an honor, Edda, to, to be with you. Thank you so much. It's an honor to me to be with you and to share and, and please extend my gratitude, my greetings to my relatives up in the north. And we talk soon, anytime, anytime. And that is Edda Zavala Lopez, who is a direct descendant of the Hawari people of Peru. She inherited her ancient traditions and knowledge related to plants from her ancestors and indigenous peoples from the highlands, which are Huachiri and Huanta, and the, from the Amazon rainforest, uh, Shaninka.
thank you for joining us here on First Forces Radio. That was Renegade by Dylan LeBlanc. And I'm your host, Teokasen Ghost Horse. First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasin Ghost Horse. Our next guest is out of British Columbia. Ogli Glogwa is Kim Reklama Klutesi of the Kwakliam First Nation in Canada. TGC the writer on topics of ethnobiology and tribal history and also she knows quite a bit about traditional ecological knowledge in the music. And we're going to continue this second half hour with Kim Reklama. Thanks for joining us. The beginning of time, music has always been a way of communicating these observations and experiences about the world. And for indigenous peoples, native peoples who have lived within their traditional territories for generations, music is a repository of ecological knowledge. With songs embedded, ancestors' knowledge, teaching, and wisdom. The indigenous songkeepers that are revealing traditional ecological knowledge in music. And uh, I would like to bring our guest, Kim, I'm going to say it really slow, Ogui Logwa is the daughter of the late clan chief Iwan Nuzi and sister to the current hereditary chief Tla Wagila of Qualicum First Nation. Through her family, she received vast knowledge and experience in the political organization during the formative years of the Southern Vancouver Island Tribal Federation, the Raven Society, the Union of BC or British Columbia Indian Chiefs and the Native Brotherhood of BC. And for three decades, she has received highly focused training from Ninogad, which are cultural sphere specialists, and Cliff Chan Adam Dick, which is Kwaksistala and Dr. Daisy Seawid, and of her nation who have carried ancestral teachings associated with maintaining balance within both the natural and supernatural worlds. And during that time, Ogui Logwa has also served at dozens of local, provincial, and national indigenous NGOs, advisory committees, and societies offering a unique cultural, academic, and political perspective to each organization. So what Ogui Logwa or Kim is, we're talking to you about recording and uh, how these song and the song keepers, as you have indicated, is that the time, the beginning time, we've carried this knowledge of how to treat our land, how to treat each other, how to treat nature, mother nurturing, mother nurture as it is, and uh, that we have carried this forward. And I'd like to thank you and ask you to come on and honor us with your words and thought, thoughts. Welcome, Kim. And thank you so for bravely trying to, uh, and doing so well, speaking the Kwakwak names of our ancestors. They are pleased, and I thank you for that. You know, our people in North America have been under siege for a few centuries. On the west coast of British Columbia, it's only been a century and a half since a lot of the colonization began. But sadly for our our brothers and sisters across uh, this nation, the nations that that, uh, others occupy have uh, sadly been under siege. And 
one of the things that we have found is we have a minimal amount of knowledge keepers uh, left alive, and one of our most important ones passed away just a year ago. And because he was secluded, when all of our children were being taken from residential school from the shores of villages at the turn of the century and well into the 1950s, we lost a repository of knowledge that was, we didn't lose it, it went sleeping. He himself started, Quaxi Stella started to work, even though he didn't read or write or go to school. He started to work with academics to remember things around our natural environment that were so crucial in, in the knowledge that we know today. And he framed every every bit of research and every expedition with a song. And we just noticed this in passing. We didn't really pay attention to it 30 years ago until we started to just say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you singing these songs? He said these were the songs to teach the children how to take care of the land, how to do this work. Because without having the intergenerations to do this heavy lifting, we, we can't have one piece missing. He said the children must help the grandparents. The parents must do the heavy work, but the children must carry this to another generation. And so many of these songs we found inspired the kids, taught them how to do the work in the, the Lokiwe, the clam gardens, in the Tequiloks, the root gardens looking at every interconnectedness, but more than anything, it taught them that everything was alive. Everything was alive. But embedded in the songs were really strong um, conservation. There's a cute song that translated uh, for crab apple picking that is a paddle song, so you're paddling up a river to come to the ancient crab apple groves, and you're singing and calling to the grizzly bear to please leave us be, and we will be very kind if you give us safe passage and we'll leave crab apples for you to eat. We will share. We won't take it all. So it taught conservation. It taught times of the year, taboos about when and where to gather things. Certain times of year you can't. So we start to go back 30 years ago and look at the songs, we being myself and a few Aboriginal academics and and a very well-known ethnobotanist, uh, Nancy Turner, and, and Doug Dewar, with Nez Perce from Oregon. And these things started to just come alive. And we had lost it ourselves, even though our contact had been much less than other parts of the world because of the children being removed. That was the link, the songs were for children to remember for the next generation. When I hear you speak of the lost song, or yet they're, they're not lost, it's just that you said they went to sleep. This seems to resonate in a worldwide context. It's, the earth is always awake, and maybe it's us that have gone to sleep? I agree with you, and I think more than ever now we must uh, quietly start remembering that each of these songs isn't just a little ditty or a song that is... Uh, fun or sounds great or a way to showcase your voice, but it has ancestral energy. And every time we sing those songs, Quasi Stella reminded us that we were calling upon the ancestors to 
put our hands in there so that we may be able to do what was right for for our Mother Earth. We, there were so many things we couldn't do in the winter months. We said, you must let the Earth rest. It, like a lot of construction and things being done in the winter months. So that the, he said, once the snow falls, that's the Earth's blanket. That's our signal to let it rest. It gets tired if we don't give it a rest. And there's a lot of little things embedded in songs like that to allow us to. It's our responsibility to keep it living. We don't turn our power over even to even to our almighty creator. We're giving those tools and that's our job to watch it and to sustain it. And I, I heard him say often, we looked after these things for thousands of years since the beginning of time and it only took a hundred years for the Mamasa, the visitors, to make a mess of it. You speak of the songs in, in the manner that they're they're alive and that they're very respectful. I almost want to, I understand it as a different, I would say, dimension, but, uh-huh. I, but I also understand it that the, the knowledge is also encoded. And yeah. some, sometimes in, in our languages, that it would be almost impossible to translate correctly everything that is kept in those languages or those codes of the earth. In that traditional music that you are rediscovering or that actually the songs are been waiting there and they're rediscovering you, they're letting you know that we've been here, we're just waiting for you. This model to respect the way for humans and other beings of Earth, uh, the non-humans, what interacts with you as a, a native from your language speaks of the waves and the forests and the animals there, and it, it fits that land, and it just makes sense that that music and then your language, it fits that land. It makes sense because I've been into your part of the country there, and it just fits. It, speaking Lakota made sense to me, but hearing your language there on the land made total sense. So uh, I think you know where I'm going with this. Absolutely. Um, in, in 1994, Quasi uh, Stella allowed his creation story to be shown to open the Commonwealth Games in Victoria. And in that is a section that speaks of how a brother was transformed into eagle down and spread all over the world. And he said to each and every culture, I think 500 million people watched it, now you are all, we are all one. We all come from the same we just have different languages and ceremonies to do the same kind of beautiful honoring of the gifts we've been given. It's our job not to waste it. It's our job to keep it alive. And we received after that messages from indigenous people from all over the world saying, yes, we agree. We believe in the same thing. And I agree with you, the languages of, of our place and our birthplace are yearning, just yearning for these songs to be sung on the land again by children. They're just yearning. And the other sacred songs as well. But they can't be sung out of context. You know, some of the deeper sacred songs have too much energy just to be to be sung every day. And so for us to understand that. But it's just as important for us to honor and respect the songs and the of the of other lands. And we traveled a little throughout our beautiful area, and 
honored and respected the language and the traditions and the teachings of everyone else. And it's extremely important to, one of our worst laws to be broken was to have long arms, literally. It was a massacre offense if you stole something sacred. And that could include a song from another people because that was so, so much part of their core and human as a human being that you had to be careful. Always, and he always would open a palace and say, or a feast or a ceremony and say, be careful. Be careful to always know your lineage and who you are and where you come from. For using or speaking of those things that do not belong to you is dangerous. Um, and you're absolutely right to know that in your own territory, you know the resonance of these ceremonies and language and songs. It doesn't mean that we hoard and keep them to ourselves, but it means that we're very cautious about the way we celebrate it. And it's why we worked with children's songs, because those are things that are keep the landscape and the environment alive and the connection to the ancestors, but it's also not clan-owned. It's not owned by individuals. It's owned by the nation. So for us to, when we reawaken and allow those teachings to come back to us in a profound way, we must always pay attention to the energy and the strengths and the rules and the obligations that are attached to each of them. And and the settlers of this land have done, haven't done any of that. And it's why we're in the kind of terrible place we're in today. We're speaking with Ogwe Logwa Wakalma Kutesi of Qualicum, who is a cross-cultural teacher, interpreter, researcher, and writers on different topics such as ethnobotany and tribal history. You were speaking about maybe the elders and mentors that are still here, and maybe you being one yourself and teaching your children, but also is the, the true and the purity kept within the songs so that nothing really changes, but yet is changing all the time? But when I think about ceremonial songs, it speaks of the motion of the change rather than things being stagnant in one place. We can say, well, we sang this for 15,000 years and nothing has ever changed. But but be, because of knowing nature as changing yet moving in motion, that we always speak about the the updated version, so, so to speak, is in something that was sung 15,000 years ago. How powerful and profound is that, that you can evoke energy from a song that an ancestor created 15,000 years ago. But you know, the most, the most traditional knowledge holder that I ever knew was Quaxi Stella, because he was uh, born to a prophetic dream and secluded and trained like no other had been in his lifetime. And yet, he was so modern. He used every tool and gadget no, he didn't read or write, never went to school in his life. He has over 100 academic papers he's co-written. <laughs> and uh, because his knowledge, he, w he made it very clear that his knowledge could not be used by people. It, he had to be attached to it. So a way of accommodating that was, was that the technology and the way that we transmit it, he taught us had very little bearing. Using modern tools to create things that the ancestors had given us 
had very little bearing. He said it was the prayers, the energy, and being clean and balanced as you're doing the work that's vitally important, even in the midst of craziness. So when we were carving a totem pole for the Commonwealth Games out of styrofoam, he still treated them as if they were a cedar pole. They still behaved as if they were a pole with their eyes waking up. And he said it doesn't matter. These things are alive. It's the notion of it that are alive. So when you do your prayers and connect, even if you're using some motor or something to do the work rather than a handmade tool, it's still the same thing. So he taught us how to modernize, but also to stay traditional. And I think that's a real key because many of us are in such a quandary about trying to keep um, pure. And we also have some strange uh, settlers who think that we're not traditional if we don't dress as we did 200 years ago. But we aren't a stagnant culture across North America. We are not. And this is just like you would often say, Clark Stella would often say to us, this time we're going through right now with the talking fingers. It's like the great flood of years and years ago. We will survive that, but we will come out a little different. But as long as we remember our values and teachings, and we respect the energies, and we respect those amazing gifts that the Creator gave us, honor our ancestors, we will be fine. But we lose our way sometimes by having too many conversations about the technology rather than the energy and the teaching. Oh, Logwa, you're, you're so correct when, when uh, you know, I live in the eastern part of the United States and the East Coast, so to speak, and there's a lot of that colonial mentality going on and that we're expected to behave and talk a certain way and yeah, but, you know, the other thing that I also understand is whenever I'm feeling that sort of lost in a desert feeling uh, that I've had too much of certain types of energy, talking all the time, people asking questions, almost extracting, wanting everything from the native as they do the land, is that I go back to the, the songs, I go back to the language, and I say that I'm from it. I'm from the language, I'm from, you know, the Lakota, but that I can never speak for the Lakota because that needs to be given permission. What is your view on that? I believe it precisely what you're saying. I, I, we were brought up in a similar manner. I think we were all brought up in a similar manner. These are not ours. We inherit obligations when we inherit knowledge. And if you take the knowledge on, I often would hear teachers say, you can't take it off like clothes. You have to wear it all the time. And you don't have to dress as we did long, long ago, but we must behave in a way where our eyes are wide open and in a way where we always are balanced and clean. And sometimes it's enough just to light a candle and say a prayer. We don't have to have a big ceremonial house. And for those who are struggling to figure out how to be traditional in this crazy world we live in, that's enough to say a prayer and say, I am Kwakwakwak, I am of the land, but I don't own it. 
I own the obligations to treat it well and to treat all all those who come before me and after me to treat them well. And that includes all of our relatives in the plant world, in the undersea kingdoms, the creatures that fly the closest to the heavens, and all of those poor creatures that are suffering as a result of us moving them out of their, their own resting places. Pay attention to that and just listen. We don't have to be fanatical. We just have to continue to ground ourselves in song and whatever kind of ceremony it takes to evoke our own balance and our own remembering of ancestral, ancestral teachings. I hear lots of appreciation for just understanding the complexity of, of your songs, of your, your mentors, even of your uncle's story. Huh. I think about in 1978, they supposedly gave us a religious freedom uh, act that we can actually speak our language, sing our songs, and dress as we want. And yeah. But yet there were so many that went underground. Someone who could sing their songs for three days and never sing the same song exactly. twice. And that was my late partner, Quaxi Stella. He knew thousands of songs, thousands. And he would sit quietly before we'd prepare for a ceremony and say, and I would try to talk about mundane things, about what would you like to eat for supper. And he'd look at me in that voice and in the, with the eyes of nobility and say, Oguilogwa, I'm working. And that was my cue to move myself out of the secular world and and just, take care of him while he was in the altered world, quietly move through that. It's true. We've lost many of these things um, only for this moment in generation because we can't hear it because of the static. I believe that this outside world creates static like on a radio, and if we try to slow ourselves down a little bit, we will hear it again. And you're very correct, they're not lost. Some people, like my grandmother, would lock, lock a door before she spoke the language or sang anything in her language because she witnessed her brother passing away in a residential school from a beating for singing a song. And we have several generations on the coast here where there, it was very brutal to try to shut that down. So laws change, but your fears don't. And your feelings about what happened to you and your trauma doesn't. So it'll take time and it'll take a place of safety for people to reach back into that place and not just use the songs as a marketing ploy to try to, you know, sell more artwork or, or to market themselves as a, you know, cross-cultural trainer or something like that. It's far deeper than that because it's dangerous as Stella would say and my other teachers. One of his favorite phrases was, uh, thank you so much for honoring me because when you honor me, you honor my teachers, my ancestors, because it is not I who received this today, but they're very, very long and hard thinking this honor today. I'd like to thank you with that honor. I'd welcome you back someday because I think People want to hear this. We're, we are yearning for it because this is the, the law of the land, the land, air, and water language of this, these lands here in the Western Hemisphere. So I would uh, thank you for being here and bringing us that story about 
the uh, indigenous songkeepers reveal traditional ecological knowledge in our music, our language, our ways of living. But thank you, Kim, for being here today. From the bottom of my heart, I really thank you for that, because for that you you honor those who have left us in such a profound way. Thank you for that. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. This is First Voices Radio, and that is Kim. And uh, her name, again, is, is very quite profound in itself. And I'd say that because it's uh, not only difficult, but it's easy to respond to once you're able to say her name, Kim Nkoma Klutesi Ogwilogwa, who is a teacher from her people in Qualicum First Nation in Canada. Manhattan Then we take burden 